0: good morning Terranova for those of you that don't know me my name is Paul Fekeda. my wife and I have been coming to Terranova since about 2009 we've been leading small groups for about almost two two decades we led small groups uh, called tribes here at Terranova and from time to time I get asked to preach with Daniel on sabbatical they asked me to preach and I said I'm in sounds great uh, So here I am with you this morning, and it's a privilege to be with you, to open God's Word. We're working our way through a a mini-series called The One Anothers. There's eight one another commands that Jesus gave to the New Testament church that we've been studying. I think we're about halfway through. This sermon series is is meant to give us a picture of how we are to live with one another in the church. So look to your right, look to your left. These commands are for us, for for how we are to live together with each other in community. Last week, Matt taught us on what does it mean to live at peace with one another. Great sermon, lots of practical application. If you missed it, go back and listen. I think the other ones are also, all of them are on our YouTube channel. The series, again, is about practical application. How do we, how should we now live as Christians? Today we're going to continue our series by learning what it means to encourage one another. Encouragement is is a really uh, important thing, it's a popular thing. A friend of mine said, well hey, encouragement, you know, that's something you'll you'll be able to do that in your sleep if that's the sermon you have to to give on. To some of you here, you know me pretty well, I do like to encourage. But I learned a lot uh, about what encouragement is and what it is not. Uh, is many different things to many people Uh, for some it's just simply telling someone something nice cheering them up for others it's telling them just what they want to hear and affirms their choices or actions encouragement is seen as helping someone become the best version of themselves according to their own personal goals and beliefs encouragement is often associated with feelings like we hear this expression I feel so encouraged Oh, I feel so encouraged. Or, I feel so discouraged, right? I feel so discouraged because someone said this or did this. To others, encouragement is a compliment or a, or a recognition of achievement. It's patting someone on, back, on the back for a job well done. Encouragement can also be seen as, hey, I'm going to help my friends see the silver lining. They're going through a hard time, but I'm going to be in there and I'm going to encourage that person and help them to see that things really aren't all that bad. Encouragement does, play, does take place in the world outside of this church. It does. But God's standards for encouragement, as I've learned as I study this, are much higher than the world's standards. So, what is encouragement as defined by God in his word? That is the question we're going to try to dig into today. Please open to Hebrews 10, verses 19 through 25. It should be up on the screen as well. And follow along. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another all the more as you see the day drawing near. So here's our main idea for today's uh, teaching. Our confidence and understanding of the work that Jesus did for us on the cross will lead us to encourage one another in community. Let me say that again. Our confidence and understanding... Of the work that Jesus did for us on the cross will lead us to encourage one another in community our roadmap today looks like this we're gonna first cover the key ingredients we're gonna be making some encouragement soup here right what are these key ingredients that we need to be able to encourage one another what are the things that need to be in place to encourage one another right we may think, well, encourage is just easy. You just go up and say something nice to someone. There, there actually are things I think that the Bible says we need to have to properly encourage one another. And then what is encouragement? At the ground level, what is exhortation? What is the difference? Is there a difference? Why does the difference matter? So we're gonna get into that. And then finally, how does encouragement and exhortation, how does it impact us collectively as a church? How does it change us as a group? So that's going to be our roadmap for today. The first key ingredient that we see uh, in our passage that we just read in Hebrews 10 is the invitation, is, uh, is full assurance of our faith. We had, we had an invitation here in Hebrews 10 to draw near to God. We did this just a few moments in our worship service. We showed up, some of you, a little later than others. We won't mention any names, but people were coming in. There was an invitation to draw near to God, to enter into worship. Have you ever stopped to ask, why do we have access to God? We just come in on Sunday mornings and, hey, it's church and we have access. The writer of Hebrews, just before these verses we just read, goes on to, he's teaching that the sacrifice, that the Old Testament practice of sacrificing yearly, they, they sacrificed animals for, the, for sins wasn't needed anymore because Jesus was the final and ultimate sacrifice. We can draw near to God and enter the holy place today because, in every day because of what Jesus did for us on the cross. The writer of Hebrews wants to cement this truth in our minds and hearts. The truth that Jesus loved you so much that he offered his life to make you righteous before God. That his blood was shed so that we can have real hope that does not waver in hard times. We must first grasp this truth for any of the, before we can do any of the other one another commands. Any of these eight one another commands. We have to grasp this truth. We have to start here. To love one another, we need, to, to give, we need the eternal God to give us the power to do good works. He has to give us this power through what he did on the cross. Jesus made amazing promises to us. And he is faithful. We can have full confidence in our Savior. The good news of the gospel must encourage us first before we are able to truly encourage others. So hopefully this morning, as we sang those songs, you felt God encouraging you. uh, And we're we're in that process already today. Once we're standing on the gospel, the the writer of Hebrews transitions in verse 24. In verse 24, you see that... Uh, the writer is saying, because of this truth, this is how your relationships horizontally will now be changed. We will stir one another up to good works and encourage one another. Stirring up is a very interesting phrase. Right? Uh, Stirring up is kind of a a word of action. Uh, It can also be translated as to provoke one another. Did you know you had to provoke one another in church today, right? That was, that's kind of my job a little bit here, is to provoke you guys. Uh, stirring and provoking, again, are words of actions. When we stir something up, it will not remain the same after the stirring has taken place. When you stir something up, it's changed fundamentally after it's been stirred. These are the tools that God wants us to use to get the attention of our brothers and sisters. To wake them up to the goodness of God and to the teachings of Jesus given to us in the Bible. My hope is that I can stir you up a little bit today. Maybe even provoke you. We'll see what God does. The second key ingredient, uh, we're going through the the soup, the encouragement soup here, is that we're able to know people. Today is Father's Day. Uh, Those those scriptures came up. They were all part of God's family. The scripture uses this word brothers. It calls calls, uh, each other brothers and sisters in the Lord. Jesus called his disciples his brothers and his sisters. We are a spiritual family. These words are used intentionally to signify the uh, personal nature of our relationships with our with with those in church with us. We should in Hebrews 10:25, we see that Paul says we should not neglect the habit of meeting together. So why is it important to meet together? Can we really know someone if we're not meeting with them? Can we really understand what's going on in their lives? Being live and in person is the best way to see how others are living, what's going on in their life. Being present with one another is a core principle here at Terra Nova Church. Presence with others in community is critical piece in living out the one another commands. If you're not meeting with each other, then can we truly exhort, or encourage, or comfort, or forbear? How do we know if someone's following the ways of the kingdom or if they're about to believe in a lie or if they're about to fall into sin if we're not meeting together, if we're not around them? Many of you, like me, are very busy. We have our screens. We have our phones. We have work schedules. And we can just put our head down and, and, and not meet. Right? It happens to us all. Anyone? Yeah? Right. Uh, it's, it's something that is, is part of our culture. So often I think I don't have time or energy to meet with people. But it, it produces fruit almost every time. I, I'd say every time. I, go, I, I take that step and meet with a brother or go out and meet a friend. It, it produces fruit. So, so maybe you are meeting. Maybe you're like, hey, I'm good. I'm, I'm going to tribe faithfully. I'm meeting with my friends. But are you really present? We can be with people and not be present. Are you there emotionally, mentally, spiritually? God does not give us an option here. Meeting together is a clear command from his word. There's no such thing as a lone ranger Christian. Sorry for you introverts, right? So you you, you have to meet together. It's part of being a part of it's a part of being the a part of the church. To follow Christ means we belong to his bride and his church. The third ingredient uh, is knowing God's Word deeply. Colossians 3.16, it should be up on the screen. Let the Word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts. The Word of Christ must dwell in you richly so that you are ready to share with your brother or sister what God's Word says in relation to what they're doing. This verse speaks to a deep understanding of God's word. We need to welcome God's word like we're welcoming riches. We all want riches, right? We welcome riches into our home. This verse is saying we need to welcome that into our hearts like we would welcome riches. We need to know the word of Christ to be able to recognize when a friend is on or off God's path. And so that's another key ingredient that we need to have. Now, you may have noticed that the verse we just read, Colossians 3.16, uses the word admonish. In Hebrews 10.25, uses the word encourage. Other passages and translations use the word exhort. So what's the difference? Does the difference matter? So there's a lot of overlap between these words. And these words are often used interchangeably. Here's a simple illustration to help us understand the difference. Think of following God's commands as traveling down a path. Exhortation is an urging to, for your brother or sister to get back onto God's path. They're either already off of God's path, or they're about to get off of God's path, and you're urging them, "Please, brother, come back." You're not condemning them; you're urging strongly. Admonishing and exhorting are almost identical. Admonishing has an emphasis on warning. Admonishing is a little more of like, "Hey, you got to get on the right path because there's consequences ahead." Warning, right? You guys, we all drive down the road and warning, uh, tra- traffic ahead or accident ahead, right? If you see a friend who is about to take the off-ramp of sin or already has exited God's highway, exhortation seeks to correct their course and love to get them back, them on, the, back on the right route. Maybe you experience this. This happens to me all the time with my GPS. I I set the the, the, the place I want to go and then I'm... I decide I'm going to take a shortcut, something some of you know called the buddy row shortcut. So I've got a different plan here. I'm going on a different route. And I want the GPS to kind of get on board and know, figure it out. I'm going a different path. And it keeps telling me, please take a U-turn. Turn Turn around. You know, and I'm just like, no, I'm, I'm going this way now. Figure it out, GPS. So exhorting is trying to get us back to that path. Right? You guys? Anyone else experienced that? Yeah, it's it's great. It's a lot of fun when our when our technology fails us. Encouragement, however, is noticing when your brother or sister is on the God's path, and then acknowledging that so they're already on God's path. They're they're working and serving God as uh, intended. Sean Demars, who is a pastor and contributor to the Gospel Coalition, defines it this way: encouragement is pointing out the grace of God in the lives of others. Really great pocket-sized definition. Knowing the differences here between exhortation and encouragement can help us in application of these verses. So we're going to get into what does this look like at the ground level. First, we're going to cover exhortation. There's a few more verses we're going to go through here on exhortation. The first is 1 Thessalonians 5.14. And we urge you, brothers, admonish the idol, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with them all. In Hebrews 3, 12 through 13, take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart, leading you to fall away from the living God. But exhort one another every day, as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. Notice the language used. We urge you, brothers, encourage the faint-hearted. Exhort one another every day while it is called today. So, exhorting. Oh, how do we do this? What does this look like? Do we exhort, go around and just correct everyone, right? And we, this is where we have to have some wisdom and some discernment. We need to avoid the extremes here. I don't think Paul or Jesus, when they, when they tell us to exhort and encourage are saying, "Go and correct everyone. go on the prowl. You seek them out, right? The Pharisees kind of did that. So Jesus and, and Paul uh, are saying, "Hey, discern here. Don't be an overcorrector. Maybe some of you are married to an overcorrector, and know what you know you, you, or you've accused someone of being an overcorrector that you uh, is a friend or a, or a brother or a sister. It happens to us all. We, we can get a little bit, over cra- a little bit crazy with, with exhorting and rebuking and reproving people. We need to understand our role in the process and not try to force it. When we exhort someone, it may not be well-received at first. The person may get defensive, they may reject what you're trying to say, we, but we may stir the person up and provoke them But we need to be patient for the process to play out. We must let the Holy Spirit do His work and bring about the conviction of sin. We can't nag someone as hard as we try. We can't nag someone into seeing their sin. We also need to discern the right moment. If exhortation, if you want to exhort someone and it's specific to that person, it's probably best to do that one-on-one. Probably not a good idea for me to get up here and try to exhort people by name in front of the whole church here, right? As much as I may want to. Uh, That's not a wise or discerning thing to do. But exhortation can be to a group. Paul does this in the apostles. So it doesn't always have to be one-on-one. You have to discern the right time and place. Or maybe you're on the other end of the spectrum. Maybe you tend to be selfishly passive when it comes to exhortation, right? You're noticing a brother or sister who's about to take a wrong turn or someone's already made a wrong turn. How do you respond? Someone says something or does something completely wrong, like patently wrong, right in front of you. Do you become like deer in the headlights? Are you paralyzed in that moment? Afraid of that you might say something, you might offend someone, you might hurt their feelings. These are some of the things we, we, we do in our mind. Well, it's not my place. It's, it's, this isn't my place. Or I don't have the time. I'm busy. Or I, I just don't have the strength. Or this is the classic one in Christian, in, in, our, in the church. It's not my spiritual gift. Someone else is going to have to do it. I'm... I'm I'm watching this one, exhortation does happen to be a spiritual gift, and we pass the buck hoping that someone, somewhere, uh, we kick the can down the road hoping they will will exhort that person, like, I'm not doing that, whoa. We've all been there and done that. We need to repent of this and ask for God to help us. The passage in Hebrews 3 says that we need to exhort daily. Why? Why? so that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. Not monthly, but daily. We should have a sense of urgency when we look to exhort our brothers and sisters. 1 Corinthians thirteen six says, Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. So love tells the truth. Love compels us to share the truth with our brothers and sisters. After all, as Jesus said, it is the truth... That'll set us free, famously, right? In John 8, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples and you know the truth and the truth will set you free. And what Jesus is talking about, the freedom there, yes, it's it's about being saved and and, uh, knowing you're going to go to heaven and that's freedom. He's actually talking about being freed from the enslavement of sin. He's talking about brothers and sisters who are trapped and are burdened by this. Exhorting is the mechanism that God wants to use for you to use to to free your brothers and sisters from the enslavement of sin. It's really, really critical. Right? Ten, I think I counted ten times encourage, exhort is is the command is given to us one another in the Bible. The church is functioning as God intended when the truth is being shared with one another in love. that, That is a sign that it's functioning properly. Now, a word to those who are receiving exhortation. So for this to function properly, you have to give it, but then you have to receive it. Right? Much easier to give it than to receive it. Exhortation may not feel good in the moment. It's not typically something we enjoy. We will be tempted to reject it. One way we commonly reject exhortation is we assume the motives of the person. Now, that person has ulterior motives. They're just trying to make themselves feel superior, right? Or worse, they're trying to hurt me. They're trying to drag me down. And we judge those motives. And we don't trust people. For exhortation to work properly, we need to assume the best about each other's motives. Proverbs 27.6 says, faithful are the wounds of a friend. It might hurt. Let's be real. It's going to hurt. But those wounds are faithful if they draw us closer to God. We also need to be humbled to receive exhortation from others. Laying aside our pride to hear what people are saying to us. Wise men and women lay down their pride. Proverbs 9:8. Reprove a wise man and he will love you. It is wise to consider what our brothers and sisters who see around and see our blind spots. We all have blind spots. Everyone. We need brothers and sisters to observe these blind spots. To let us know they're there. To discover them and we need to allow them to reprove us now on to encouragement we did a deep dive there into exhortation now into encouragement which you may think is the easy part right it's, okay that that's this is the easy this is the easy one there's also extremes with encouragement we can be stingy with encouragement why is that Could it be that everything in life boils down to a competition for you? Is life all about winning? Could you have the fear that if you start doling out encouragement, others might pass you and leave you behind? Or if I give too much encouragement, then it will make them soft and lazy. I got to be really, you know, careful with how much encouragement I dole out here because I don't want people to get lazy. This withholding uh, of giving praise to people is something we need to consider. Why are we doing this? Being Father's Day, I think we need to recognize that this is a trap that many fathers fall into, unfortunately. We withhold giving praise to our kids in the hopes that that will make them work harder for our approval. This type of behavior modification is not something we see in scriptures. In fact, you see Paul warning twice, not once, twice, not to overly provoke our children to anger and discouragement being stingy with encouragement can exasperate our kids as they feel that no matter how hard they work their fathers fail to recognize their efforts and notice their achievements we also see this competition dynamic in the workplace commonly right people in the workplace don't really encourage that often or in athletics but it needs to be different in the church we are all on Team Jesus and should not seek to one-up one another. We need to be generous. In contrast, we really need, as a church, need to be generous and looking to encourage others. Not thinking of our own gain, but thinking about how God could use this person to do great things for the kingdom. Encouragement should be woven into our, every, into our everyday life. Bottom line is we should be taking every opportunity to encourage that we have, that God gives us. The other extreme is what I'll call the hyper-encourager. This person seems to make things up out of thin air just to encourage people. They really haven't done their homework. They don't know if somebody really has done something. I struggle in this area. We're going to confess to one another was one of the things we talked about earlier. Uh, We had a sermon on that. So I definitely struggle in this area. Right? I am a hyper-encourager. You know, I'm guilty. Um, I seek to encourage so much that sometimes I over encourage because I, I haven't really taken that time to, to know where, where someone is in their journey I encourage out of proportion at times and then it can come across as flattery instead of true encouragement flattery seeks to promote the person giving the compliment rather than the person receiving it we need to make sure our motives are pure and that we're not looking for selfish gain. So we, we can have good motives and still hyper-encouraged, but we also can have selfish motives. So we got to get this right. It's, it's, uh, but how do, we, how do we get our motives right? How, do, how does that work? As we mentioned earlier, Jesus makes our hearts pure and our conscience is clean through the work on the cross. This is how that heart motivation changes in us. We can't generate it. God has to generate it in us. Also, we should look to encourage at the right time. Romans 12, 15, we read this last week, says to rejoice with those who rejoice and mourn with those who mourn. Mistimed or misplaced encouragement is is something we can do. It's possible. You may think, well, encouragement's never wrong. It it can be the wrong time. Someone's going through a hard time. I'm like, I'm going to help them see that silver lining. Maybe not the right time for that. Maybe it would be better to mourn with that friend in that moment. We may not get it right all the time. We're gonna have to bear with one another. This is gonna, it's gonna have some bumpy, uh, some rough edges, so we have to be patient and and bear with one another, but we need to encourage daily. Now on to receiving encouragement. Just like with exhortation, we, we have to assume the best about people's motives, right? don't judge prematurely doing that prevents encouragement from landing in your heart cynicism abounds in our society and it also unfortunately abounds in the church we all can be cynical at times hmm why is this person being so nice to me what's their angle what are they trying to sell what are they trying to get I understand why we can be that way because we're constantly trying to be sold things in the outside world but in the church it should be different now some people maybe aren't trustworthy and that can be true however we we can be overly skeptical and needs God's help to get out of this cynical mindset also when we receive encouragement we have to be careful that we don't let it puff us up pride can grow in our hearts when we're encouraged what we see in scriptures is that when encouragement is done, is received correctly, it's meant to help us love God more. Sometimes encouragement causes us to love ourselves more, right? We're like, yeah, encourage me. Good job, Paul, in your sermon today. Yeah, you know, fill, fill that up. A famous pastor and preacher, someone I really uh, admire, Alistair Begg, said a compliment is like perfume. Sniff it, don't ever swallow it. Okay, so encouragement is something we should receive and then we should be looking that 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 joy, then we pass it on. But then we're going to look to encourage someone else. Encouragement starts to build on itself as it works its way around the church. Right. It's like that uh, telephone game. Right. It's going to work its way throughout the whole church which is going to then have an impact on the whole church body, which is our last point for today. Let's read Ephesians 4:11 through 16. It should be up on the screen. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine by human cunning by craftedness in deceitful schemes rather speaking the truth in love we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped when each part is working properly makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. When exhortation and encouragement is done properly, it builds up the church. Speaking the truth in love matures us as a body. The church now has the ability to be unified. How great is that? We have the ability to reject false teaching and deceitful schemes that come at us. And a lot of them are coming at us. People's hearts will be full of love and encouragement, which helps them to fulfill the one another commands. All these one another commands. We have to have love. Above all love, right? 1 Peter 4.8. The verse in Colossians we read says that people will literally be bursting into songs. (laughs) People will be just like, you know, maybe you guys had that crazy charismatic church experience. But this is the idea. Like, you're going to be bursting into songs, singing songs, Uh, you're going to be greeting one another with brotherly affection can you see how the momentum is building here starts with God changing our hearts then we exhort and encourage so that God can change our brothers and sisters hearts and now the entire church is equipped to to work properly and is built up in love and it doesn't stop there the outside world would notice how we love each other inside the church John 13, 35, by this people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Encouraging one another is a very visible way to love one another. It's something that people will see. It's very visible. It's very important. The outside world is watching how we love each other. So with God's help, let's give them a display of love like they have never seen. It should be different. So we've gone through what is encouragement, what is exhortation, the difference, how this should change the church, and maybe you're feeling a little overwhelmed. Maybe you're lacking faith that God can really do this. Singing songs, brotherly effect, really? Like, life is hard, man. Like, that's a bit too far. There's a lot of pain. There's a lot of brokenness. There's a lot of hurt. You don't know the troubles in my life. We need to remember where we started and go back to Jesus. We need to let Jesus exhort and encourage us first before we can encourage others. We do this every week when we receive communion. We take the time to remember what Jesus did for us on the cross. That his body was broken and his blood was shed so that our sins can be forgiven and our hearts made clean. Please take some moments before you receive today, receive communion today, and allow God to encourage you. Ask for a spirit to fill you with the hope and faith you need. Let's let this passage encourage us here, 1 Thessalonians 5, 9 through 11. God has not destined us for wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. Who died for us so that whether we are awake or asleep, we might live with him. Therefore, encourage one another and build one another up, just as you are doing. We get to live with Jesus here on earth when we're awake and in heaven when we pass and we're asleep in the sense that that's a euphemism for meaning we passed on to the next life. This is good news. News that should change how we live with one another here on earth. This is the eternal perspective that God wants us to have. Even with this tension we feel with the outside world breaking down and us in this church singing songs and hugging one another. There's tension there. But we need to live in that tension of the already and the not yet. To close, I'm going to read a prayer written by a pastor and writer. I'm going to invite the band up as well. Named Scotty Smith. He wrote this prayer in response and out of uh, inspiration from the verse we just read in Thessalonians. So if you would, bow your heads. Heavenly Father, there are many things over which we don't have any control many outcomes that remain hidden from us, and many broken stories and broken people that may or may not get better this side of heaven. But this passage of Scripture assures us of these things. Because of Jesus' finished work, our future contains absolutely zero judgment for our sins and not a single expression of brokenness in anyone, anywhere. Rather, we will experience 100% joyful welcome. The fullness, fullness of your delight and perfect relationship with you forever. Nothing is going to be merely okay. Everything is going to be magnificent, right, and beautiful beyond our wildest dreams and hopes. Because of such a grand hope, free us to live as genuine encouragers, builder uppers, and hope dispensers for our families, friends, and neighbors. Thank you for the privilege we have of bearing one another's burdens, showing up in one another's stories, holding one another accountable for believing the gospel giving each other the perspective of eternity at low times, and life-giving feedback during our wandering times. Father, thank you that whether we die before Jesus returns or live to see that blessed day, we are right now your beloved children, called, loved, and kept. Nothing can ever separate us from your love. Deplete your mercies or exhaust your grace. Thank you that the darkest clouds often bring the most refreshing rains. And that boasting in our weakness is still the best way to taste the sweetness of the gospel. Indeed, Father, make us encouragers with this good news and living hope. As long as you keep us in this world, so very amen we pray. In Jesus' tender and triumphant name.